The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today we're discussing The Vanquishers, the last chapter in the latest season of Doctor Who, featuring the 13th Doctor. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Howdy, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to join the StarQuest fan club by texting StarQuest to 66866. That's StarQuest, one word, to 66866. Uh, I also want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network that you will definitely enjoy if you like Secrets of Doctor Who, and that is Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. This is, uh, of course, featuring our very own Jimmy Aiken, who explores all kinds of mysteries, both natural and supernatural. Uh, and just to give you a preview of some things coming up, we're talking, this is, as we uh, release this episode, Pearl Harbor is this week, the anniversary, 80th anniversary. We're going to be talking about Pearl Harbor. Uh, we've got some great shows coming up uh, featuring. And, uh, and like, was there a conspiracy? Yes. Yes, of course. That's the mystery. Uh, I, I think we're going to be doing something on the Hindenburg next next month uh, in January. Yeah. So things we have coming up, we've got uh, Pearl Harbor. We have the involvement of a Soviet mole yep. leading to Pearl Harbor. Uh, we've got questions for the holidays. Then we have, is it always demons? Uh, in uh, in January, as well as the Hindenburg and um, uh, interview with uh, Major Bill Ray, who is one of the Stargate remote viewers, including some of his most dramatic remote viewing experiences involving things like a mass alien abduction, Roswell and the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, uh, all kinds of additional stuff, poltergeists, uh, inflation, lots of different things. (laughs) Definitely want to subscribe and be stay subscribed because uh, 2022 is going to be the best year yet for the Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash mysterious. So we do have some listener feedback this episode, but because... Wait, listener feedback at the beginning? How timey-wimey. I know, it is very timey-wimey. <laughs> you know, it almost splits me into three trying to do this. Uh, but uh, I want to do it at the top of the show because it sort of will be spoiled if we do it after we've discussed the, the show because it's the predicting how things are going to turn out. So I want to share this. Uh, I don't do this to shame because, frankly, uh, I was in the same boat as these guys <laughs> with my predictions. So <laughs> let me just read them to you. Uh, first, from Ted on Facebook. Wow, there's a lot to resolve in the sixth episode, and by the time the next podcast comes, a lot of our questions will be answered. There's been much discussion about the Master showing up, and my guess at this point is that the Master is Voldemort. I mean, Prentice. (laughs) I realized this at the end of Survivors of the Flux, when it was revealed that Prentice was working with the Centaurans. Who else would team up with the Doctor's enemies and his his plan, as badly thought uh, thought out as it will be, will be exposed in the final episode. And then Rich, uh, also on Facebook, wrote, I'm calling it right now, The Grand Serpent is the Master. Remember the 1996 Doctor Who movie? The Master was a snake. Well, technically a death worm worm morphant, but still. Uh, I have to admit, guys, I was was in the same boat. I, I was certain that Prentice would be the Master as well. 
Well, but was there, he? <laughs> there were certainly, they did certainly establish similarities between the Grand mm -hmm. Serpent and the Master. That would be a very reasonable interpretation going in. And yeah. um, I guess we'll have to find out what happened. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I, I will give a spoiler. There was a mention of the Master, yeah. but where, in what context? Oh, that's a good, make sure to bring that back up again, Father Corey, because I don't, I don't remember that one. So, Oh, well, it's in, it's in my outline. Oh, OK. Good, good, good. Don't forget to tell me. All right. Well, so let's get to it. Uh, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of this episode? OK, spoilers ahoy. So here we go. Stuff happens. <laughs> the, the doctor wins the end. <laughs> That's very spoilery. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you want a little more detail, I mean, this one was tough to summarize because of how dense it is in yeah. terms of mm -hmm. everything that's going on. But here we go. Last time on Doctor Who, Swarm disintegrated Tecteun and then turned to deal with the Doctor, giving us our latest cliffhanger. This time, the Doctor ducks out of the way of his disintegrator hand and runs to get help from the Ood. The Ood tells her that if she takes off her stabilizer, she'll be pulled back into the universe. He locates her TARDIS for her, so she'll be pulled back there, but instead, the Doctor is split across three different places. One of her is still on board Division Headquarters with Swarm and Azure. One of her goes to the Joseph Williamson tunnels, and one of her goes to Carvinista's ship, where he and Bell are. On board Division Headquarters, Swarm and Azure reveal their plan. They want to use the Flux, which turns out to be based on an antimatter wave, to destroy the material universe, ending with Atropos, where their god, which is the personification of time, is imprisoned. They want to take the Doctor there and offer her as a sacrifice to time. They then plan to indulge themselves by rewinding the universe, recreating or rewinding history, recreating the universe and destroying it over and over again multiple times. They plan to make the Doctor experience this over and over in a destructive loop as revenge for making them suffer for such a long period. They also give her a glimpse inside the pocket watch that holds her memories, and she sees the crooked house again, which is a representation containing all her past selves and memories. Meanwhile, the doctor in the Williamson tunnels reunites with Yaz, Dan, Professor Jericho, the TARDIS, and Kate Stewart, who is leading human resistance to Suntaran occupation. We learn that Williamson built his tunnels because he had multiple rips in space and time on his property, saw the future coming of the flux, and built the tunnels as underground protection. Eventually, he is sent back to his own time through one of the doorways. They also pick up Claire in 1967 using the TARDIS. Meanwhile, inside the passenger form, Vendor and Diane discover a way to escape and alert the doctor to where the passenger form is being stored. Eventually, the Doctor with Carvinista and Bell also unites with them, and they rescue Vendor and Bell. I'm sorry, Vendor and um, Diane. So we gradually get the whole team back together. And they split up on submissions to deal with all the crises. It turns out that the Centaurans have been desperately searching for the coordinates of the final flux event. They've offered the Daleks and Cybermen an alliance to ensure their mutual survival. The Centaurans also have killed all of the Lupari and taken their ships, which are able to resist the flux. And they're able to get the coordinates of the final flux event using psychic abilities from Claire and Professor Jericho. They then lure the Daleks and Cybermen into a trap, at first protecting them with the Lupari shield, but then, le then leaving them exposed to the Flux. 
The doctors realize that this has been their plan all along and that they plan to stop the antimatter flux by feeding them the Dalek and Cyber Armies, which are made of matter. However, the doctor, who has no compunction about the resulting megadeths, disables the Centauran fleet so it also is eaten by the flux. Most genocide doctor ever. <laughs> During the process, Professor Jericho dies, and, the, and then the doctor uses the now-empty passenger form to absorb the remainder of the flux. Meanwhile, Swarm and Azure take the Doctor to Atropos, where the personification of Time is unhappy that it isn't being released because of the failure of the Flux. Time then apparently disintegrates Swarm and Azure. Time also warns the Doctor that her current incarnation is coming to a close, and hence that her next regeneration will involve the Master. In the end, Carvanista, Bell, and Vender go off together on Carvanista's ship to have Big Finish adventures together and possibly come back in one of next year's specials. The Grand Serpent is exiled to a tiny distant asteroid. Dan officially joins Team TARDIS, and the Doctor asks the TARDIS to hide the pocket watch with her memories until she really, really asks for it back. The end. Mm-hmm. Uh my big my big uh, regret is actually the loss of Professor Jericho. That was the one I wanted to see his continuing adventures. Yeah, uh, every, everybody loved Professor Jericho. And for <laughs> once they for once they killed a character that they had actually built up some investment in. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. So, um, all right, let's jump right in. And, and that's what they did with this episode is that it really took off from the recap. Like they didn't even take say, here's the recap. And now. Now we take off from here. It's like it's literally continued the same scene uh, where the doctor was with Swarm and Azure. Yeah, on, as, on the... as you're as you're watching the recap, the word which is very brief, the yeah. word now just appears on the screen to signal <laughs> yeah. the transition into now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and so, so they... I, I'd, I'd like to talk about a kind of meta issue. OK, for mm-hmm. for uh, for this. Um the or maybe more than one, but so this um, story has what you could think of as the Moriarty problem. Mm-hmm. Now, it, people may be aware that um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle at a certain point got tired of writing the Sherlock Holmes character, so he killed him off, and he killed him off in a story called The Final Problem, in which he introduced the supervillain Moriarty, who is like Sherlock Holmes's nemesis, is equal and opposite, and they end up going, apparently, falling from a great height at the Reichenbach Falls in Switzerland, um, and both dying. And Dr. Watson is then left to write the, the, the story of what happened. But then um, Sherlock Holmes proved too popular to be killed off. And so uh, Conan Doyle pulled a timey-wimey move of his own by writing The Hound of the Baskervilles, which is a novel set before the Reichenbach Falls incident. So he goes back in time. But eventually he gave up with the timey-wimey stuff and just said Holmes had faked his death and brought him back. Now, this is a pivotal story in uh, Sherlock Holmes. And I am of the opinion, which I've expressed before, that I think it's very badly written. Not in the sense that the prose is bad, but that the structure of the story is bad because you have this sudden introduction of Moriarty, 
the 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 nemesis of Sherlock Holmes because you want him to die, you want him to have this big send off, so he needs a big villain. So you create his equal and opposite, who has never been mentioned before. Yeah. And 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 it Holmes is like introducing the concept of Moriarty to Watson at the beginning of the story. It's like, here's this major guy who's responsible for all the crime in London that despite the fact you and I have been working together for years and I've been secretly tracking this guy, I've never mentioned him to you before, my best friend Watson, (laughs) which just makes no sense. And so what they're trying to do is build up investment in this major big bad out of nothing right right before the fight. And that's bad structure. The thing to do would have been to plant seeds of uh, Moriarty way before and gradually build up to this, at least over a few stories. And Conan Doyle didn't do that. And he even after he brings Sherlock Holmes back, he tries to retcon it that that Holmes has been talking to Moriarty about has been talking to Watson about Moriarty the whole time. (laughs) <laughs> which is patently not true because he introduces him to Moriarty for the first time in the final problem. Right. So this episode, this series, this flux presents us with something like that because we have the introduction of Swarm who presents himself as the doctor's nemesis from the dark times. Um, they fought so many times. He was always her big bad, um, like the master in her current, set of memories he was the proto master he was her her best frenemy and mm. and so he needs to be built up as this big big threat and i think this is more successful than the final problem because it's not just one episode if they tried to do it in one episode like the final problem it would have fallen flat but they actually had six episodes here to build up uh, swarm as this very sinister figure from the past. We get to know him a little bit. We get to see what he can do. It is indeed terrifying. Um, I mean, if someone really had those abilities, wow, that would be terrifying. And so I think it's more successful than that. I also, since um, time disintegrated him, time can bring him back. And so I thought this series did a fairly good job of introducing villains for the future because, you know, lots of villains show up and they die or something like that. And then they get brought back. But they've given us uh, they've given us Swarm and Azure as interesting characters from the dark times. Um, They can be brought back in the future. Also, they've got the Grand Serpent marooned on that asteroid now, and he can be brought back in the future. I mean, he's not even dead. He's just marooned. Mm. So um, so I thought this was a decent introduction of compelling villains that I would like to see again in the future. And I I thought it worked well on that score. Um, I also like getting a little bit more information about the Dark Times. We've had a number of villains come back from them. Originally in Classic Who, there were the Vampires. Mm-hmm. Uh, then in the new, in new who we got the weeping angels, the Rachnos, um, and in the animated version, we got the Nestine turned out to be from the dark times. And mm-hmm. now we have the ravagers swarm and azure a- a- as well. And so I like that they're gradually giving us a little bit more information. We also know how the dark times ended with the imprisonment of time. So speaking mm-hmm. of time, uh, time, time, this character time is not introduced here for the first time. Sorry, I didn't mean that. (laughs) But uh, um, 
But in fact, it was introduced as, as an eternal, like death and pain, was introduced in uh, novels, apparently. That's what, what I was reading. Yeah, uh, uh, there have been personifications of time before, mostly in spinoff material. I don't know that there... We have met the Eternals before on screen, but yes. I don't believe time was one of them. No, no, no. Um, I personally am a little... To me, what happens in novels is sort of beta canon. Yeah. Um, in, 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 unless it's directly and unambiguously said on the show that, yeah, that happened. I tend to, I'm, I don't treat novels the same way as I do that actual as media that actually involve the actors right from the show. Like big finish. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, and that's, that's clearly how, at least since Moffat's time, they've been treating, uh, spinoff media. Big finish is really being brought into canon strongly mm -hmm. but the novels are really not mentioned very often as far as i know um going back to your, your conversation jimmy about the uh, uh -huh. um, the moriarty problem that was a risk that i think they took and i hope they took knowing it was it was a chance a problem when they brought in the whole timeless child thing because now we've got this whole backstory we know nothing about mm -hmm. we know nobody that is there and even the doctor herself doesn't know that these characters are there. And I, I think I, I agree with you. They did a good job with Schwarm and Azure of bringing them in, in a way that they were always there. They're always in the background. We just didn't know about them until now, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I, I think they, 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 and they didn't present them as like, as I've been telling all my companions over the last 13 regenerations, <laughs> these figures are there, but we've never heard about them. It's more like no one knew about them except these figures themselves. So I, I, I think they did a good job of, of setting them up in a way that they're like, oh, yeah, we've always been kind of lurking in your background. Yeah, I mean, after 55 years of Doctor Who, we there, a lot of mystery gets dispelled, gets, you know, opened up. The doors get open. We find out more and more about the Doctor. There's still mystery there. But the fact that I think that all of this, Timeless Child and the, all this uh, stuff about the Division, really re-imbues the Doctor with mystery mm -hmm. that can be explored for another mm -hmm. 50 years, frankly. And, I, and that's why I'm fundamentally in favor of it. I mean, I, yeah. I would criticize yeah. details of execution, but fundamentally I'm in favor of reintroducing that element of mystery. So I don't have a problem with the division mm -hmm. or the missing memories or the dark time. I'm so glad they did not give the doctor back all of her memories in this episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I and, you know, I'm even a little hinky about she's got them and they're in the TARDIS. I would rather have destroyed the watch because it was being held by Azure as she was being disintegrated and she dropped mm -hmm. it and the doctor picked it up. They could have just had the watch disintegrated with Azure and right. that would have been a tragic loss for this episode. And then the doctor would have had to find some other way to learn mm -hmm. what happened to her. Yeah. And that would be more piecemeal and they could dispel the mysteries gradually. Um right. If they if they bring and whenever they bring back the pocket watch, you know, the temptation will be to let her have everything. Yeah. And mm -hmm. they shouldn't. They shouldn't let her have everything. It should. She should be as much of a mystery to herself as she is to the viewer, substantially anyway. And she should only get her memories back piecemeal. So what I would do in if I were writing this in the future is something similar to what they actually did in this episode. They didn't just give her the memories back when they opened the watch. She saw the crooked house 
And that was a representation of the mysteries, but she needed to take a further step in order to get mm-hmm. them. And I would I would have some similar thing where the watch can't give her everything all at once. It's she can only get a piece of it and 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 doesn't simply learn everything all at once. Mm-hmm. I was I was telling myself that the uh, hatch that she dropped it down the the in the, was called the Russell T Davies hatch. <laughs> That's for Russell T Davies to explore. <laughs> Here yeah. you go, RGD. This is yours. Now, one, one thing I like to see is not use the pocket watch for the memories. Just forget about it. Yeah. Let it be one of those things in Doctor Who that just kind of gets forgotten about. Now, of course, as you like to say, this is Chekhov's pocket watch. They got to bring it back someday. Yeah. Um, but this is would be a place where Doctor Ruth could come in, where she helps you know, the current doctor, 13th doctor, 14th doctor, recover memories. Or another mm-hmm. incarnation. Do it, do it that way, yeah. you know. Yeah, another timeless child reincarnation. Um, and I, I think that would, frankly, be a little more satisfying of a way to do it than mm-hmm. the, here, let's do a brain dump of all your memories yeah. with the pocket watch. Yeah. The Now, I don't rule it out that Chris Chibnall may bring back the pocket watch in the specials, especially the final one, but I'm mm-hmm. betting he won't, and I hope he won't. Mm-hmm. Um one other thing we learned in this episode about the dark times is that Carvedista was the mm-hmm. doctor's companion. Mm-hmm. And yep. so I love that. I love having an on-screen visually non-human companion. Yeah. yeah. Because we've had non-human companions before on screen. Um, I mean, canine, if you want to count robots, also chameleon, <laughs> but that was a failure as a companion. Oh, that was terrible. Yeah. Um, and, but in terms of an a- biological alien that doesn't look human, like Turlo was alien, Nissa was alien, Adric was alien, but they all looked human. Right. Having having one that looks like a giant dog is great. Yeah. And we've exactly. had and we've had that kind of thing before in the comic books and the novels and Big Finish. For example, uh, there's a companion of the sixth doctor named Frobisher, who is a shape shifting alien penguin. Most of the <laughs> most of the time looks like a penguin. That is awesome. awesome. I want to yeah. listen to that. <laughs> but uh, oh, Frobisher's all across lots of media, so he's very popular. That's awesome. Um, but having Carvinista is um, as a companion, and like other companions, he got left behind under circumstances mm-hmm. we don't know. Mm-hmm. And he's got a thing in his head that will kill him if he tells the Doctor about their time in Division together. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big one. I really I, I really ended up liking Carvinista. I really, you know, mm-hmm. just that. Oh, yeah. He's got an attitude. And I just I liked, I liked his attitude. Um, he, You know, he looks like a puppy dog. He looks cute and is not cute. I mean, he's he's sort of the Chewbacca thing. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Chewbacca looks cute, but Only he's able to fierce. talk human. Yes, but yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, Carvinista was one of the big success. I mean, Professor Jericho was a success. Carvinista mm-hmm. was a big success, I think, in this Absolutely. series. I think the audience would love to see more Carvinista. The only, only thing I hate about that is they, they've killed off his race. Yeah. Yeah. And I really don't like that. I wish they would have left that because that would have left him open to have, seeing more Lupari come in. And you've got a successful you know, model here. Why not mm-hmm. exploit it? Yeah. The, I, I thought the, uh, this was a point that I thought was unsuccessful. I don't, uh, one of the things I complimented in a previous episode of this podcast was for once with the universe ending plot, they're showing us the scale of it mm-hmm. because we're not just hearing, Oh yeah. Lots of the universe is being destroyed and we never see any of that happening. You know, um, he, this time the scale feels 
big because we get to see the universe as it's being destroyed and, you know, the wreckage of it afterwards. But Carvinista's family, they race, they kill him off screen and we only hear about it. Yeah. And you don't even you see know? the ships blowing up. You, the ships are still there because well, they played a later plot. Yeah, because they, they need them. And so they spaced everybody. They airlocked them yeah. all. And yeah. and I thought that was unsatisfying. Also, technically, the the <clears throat> I was popped out of the story by thinking about wolf communications when Carvanista howls mm-hmm. because he's enraged at that point. Wolves do not howl in rage. Yeah, they right. they howl because they they uh, want to communicate. They howl to organize each other to get ready for a hunt, mm-hmm. and they howl because they're lonely and they want contact. But they haven't set up Carvanista's emotional state that way, and he knows that he's not organizing for a hunt with other right. other Lupari. So the howl actually popped me out of the story the way they use it. I love the howl. It's just yeah. like, well, this should be when he's feeling lonely, not enraged. Mm. Right. And you could kind of see that just because he just found out that his race was dead. But at the same time, what do dogs do when they get mad? They yeah. growl. They, growl. they bark. They growl. They, they bark. If they're in pain, they scream or they whimper. You yep. know, it would, I feel like it might have been more effective to have him just growl menacingly as they as they pan away, as they track away from mm-hmm. him like that. I think that would have been m- more subtle, <laughs> frankly. Mm-hmm. Doctor Who does not do subtle very often, but it would have been a, no. a nice subtle uh, note. You know, one of the things, you know, so the Lupari are dead. One of the things that we all kind of talked about, I don't know if we all agreed that it would be this way, but we, we, brought, it, we brought it up, which is, well, in the sixth episode, the doctor will snap her fingers, wave the sonic screwdriver, and everything will be reset back to normal. They left the universe broken. This is a broken mm-hmm. universe, which I thought was interesting. Now, again, we're going to have to put a star on everything because specials into 2022. So who knows what's going to happen? Um, we are clearly getting the Daleks back from destruction with the New Year's special called Eve of the Daleks. So that's that's happening. So, But as of this episode, as it ends, we have a broken universe, and that's interesting that they've done that. Yeah. And and we may or may not see it's entirely optional how much of that we see in, in the future, because they can always if if it's a story set in the past, well, the yeah. universe wasn't broken yet. Right. And if it's a story set in in the present or the future, it's like, well, we're just in a part of the universe that wasn't affected. Right. 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 Exactly. But uh, I, I do like that when they don't. They don't do the reset, you know, that, that they mm-hmm. leave things as they were. Also, this is something um, there's and this is uh, so I'll mention a, another literary parallel this time to a uh, a graphic novel. It was originally a four part miniseries, but it's a graphic novel called Golden Age. And it is set in an alternate history of the DC universe uh, where mm. it's really good. It's really, really well done. If you if you like graphic novels, get Golden Age. It mm-hmm. is very well done. Um, but in they have a reveal of the big bad and you have this emerging group of heroes in the 1950s. During the McCarthy era, uh, heading up to 1960. So this is like 1959. And they have this group of of heroes against a really powerful big bad. And one of the points they kind of make meta textually is that in a lot of comics, and this is true of other media as well, you tend to have 
sudden endings with big knockout punches. And where there's like some single thing that happens that that allows good to win as opposed to a death by a thousand cuts where you have to earn your way towards the victory a piece at a time. And that's what they do in Golden Age. There is no magic Superman who swings in and ends the big bad with one punch. The community of heroes has to take the big bad down a piece at a time. And 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 this uh, is essentially what we got in flux, because there's no magic reset button at the end of it. Instead, Mm -hmm. they've got they've got all these different crises and they have to solve them one at a time. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. and that is good writing. That is satisfying writing. Yeah, I did like that. So uh, a couple of things I want to mention, the Crooked House. I should have gone, you know, rewound and looked at it, but I, I, the way I was watching it, I, I couldn't. I was in a hotel room with my kids. They were trying to sleep. But uh, did the Crooked House, this is going to sound weird, did it, ha- was it standing on chicken legs? Was it Baba Yaga's house? <laughs> no, I, I think it was just floating. It wasn't okay. Baba yeah. Yaga's house. Because uh, that would have been cool. I would have, that would have been an interesting mystery. But it, well, the other thing it yeah. kind of called ba- to Baba, mind. For people who okay. may not know, Baba Yaga is a character from Russian folklore who yes. is a witch and lives in a house that walks on chicken legs. Yes. <laughs> My kids love that story. Uh, they're weird. Uh, but the other thing it brought to mind, speaking of Sherlock Holmes, was like the mansions of the mind, like the 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 modern uh, Holmes, the the Benedict Cumberbatch Holmes. They had this whole episode, which was where uh, Holmes was in, like, had built his mind they? palace. Mind palace. Thank you. That's that's the word I can get. Mind which palace. Kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, yeah, it's based on real things, which are actually which are in the real world. They're called memory palaces. And they're used as a mnemonic technique to help you remember information. But on Sherlock, he uses it to um, perform other functions, like as kind of a mind laboratory to do deductive reasoning in, and also as a as a a mental virtual environment uh, to calm himself down when he like. There's an episode where he's been shot and he realizes if he doesn't get his heart rate down, he's going to bleed out. And so he goes into the mind palace and uses it to calm himself so he has a better chance of survival. Right, right. So it did kind of recall for me a little bit like the idea of what, what would the doctor's memory palace look like? Well, a big crooked house probably is not that yeah. far off. So that, I, I like that. That was kind of interesting. And again, I hope to see that again. And by the way, notice that um, so they kind of expanded Swarm's powers. And I I don't know. They needed to better establish why he's called Swarm. I yeah. mean, they said right. he doesn't seem to be in control of a swarm, at least not obviously. Now, Azure, his sister, it's clear why she's called Azure, because, <laughs> duh, she she's is blue. Azure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Swarm, why is he called Swarm? The best I can make of it at this point is because he disintegrates people into a swarm of particles. Mm. And he also disintegrates the house into like a swarm of bits of lumber. But then it turns out in this episode, he can reverse it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it also turns out that he can do it just by waving his hand. He doesn't actually need to touch you. There is a moment where he just waves towards the doctor and she starts to disintegrate. And then he puts her back together to show what he's going to do to the universe. So, um, so he's extremely powerful yeah. and he can undo all the damage he's done. So he mm-hmm. can bring back Tech Tayun. 
for example. Mm, that's true. That's yep. true. And then uh see Williamson. I thought I I it was fun to see the doctor meeting him. She was like fanboying with Williamson. Oh, you're on my list of mm. people to see. I wanted to meet in, you know in time. Mm-hmm. Um and the whole idea of <laughs> I like how when she first sees him, she doesn't know who he is and she just she's going, Yes, Dan, Tardis, Kate Stewart, Victorian looking guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was good. And then his story of traveling through time as he goes through these rifts to time and places, and I'm like Big finish, paging big finish. <laughs> yeah. Joseph Williamson's adventures in space and time. That would be interesting. Um, I like that they have the Centaurans are raiding corner shops for junk food. That's like their yeah, big, their big weakness. Nice. <laughs> and the there doctor a, there, uses that. There was a really nice bit of dialogue there where the doctor is saying, okay, we've got these two human psychics who really want to help the Centauran cause. And if you can, and can you smuggle them in in exchange for unlimited access to chocolate? You could even learn to make it yourself. And the (laughs) Centauran who has chocolate smears all over his mouth from what he's just been eating, just pauses for a beat and says, chocolate and you, and, and you know that's that's his acceptance and that was actually for a silly scene that was well done i like that yeah. i like that um so oh ba- another yeah. bit of centaur after they get jericho and claire smuggled in so oh, apparently yeah. apparently you don't have to actually be a psychic this is everybody has residuals or limited psychic abilities that they can use and then it turns out claire because she is a professional psychic is able to get more and she's mm-hmm. actually able to give them the coordinates. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I like how was they're plugging them into the machine to try to find the location of the final flux event. Um, the Santaran is telling Jericho and Claire that uh, your task will either end in success or death. And Jericho says, what is the reward for success? Death. so okay (laughs) i guess we'll succeed back in you know in division between the universes uh azure points out the doctor's greatest obsession is for others to live and she's sort of more than to save herself and she azure comes across as her greatest fear is so in, in recent incarnations of of doctor who they've portrayed like the doctor as his own worst enemy yeah, especially mm-hmm. in the wake of the time war, he f- carried so much guilt for that. Um, that's why we got the Dream Lord, right? You mm-hmm. know, um, because of Matt Smith's doctor's hate, self hatred, and um, and we also had similar hints that the doctor's his own biggest fear. But Azure says, "No, I can see in your mind, and it's not yourself. You are not your own biggest fear. It's your fear of things being destroyed." Right. Mm-hmm. There's this exchange between Azure and the doctor where, you know, Azure's, why is what you fight for better than what we want? You know, the Ravagers, Azure and Swarm. And she's saying this sort of in a philosophical way, like, like yeah, I don't yeah. understand you. And the doctor talks about balance in the universe. And I'm thinking, but, you know, without God or faith, you know, is there a good answer for her to say what I want is better than what you want? Like the whole balance thing is kind of nonsense. You know, it didn't Pretty. really satisfy. Yeah. Creation versus uncontrolled time. Yeah. I, so there are things that could be said in this regard, but yeah, I found that it's like you've lived for more than 2000 years and you haven't gotten around to taking a course in natural theology apologetics yet. Really? <laughs> because <laughs> these answers are lame. Right. Um, right. Oh, yeah. Now, and, and it ultimately, because Chris Chibnall doesn't have the ability, apparently, 
to write at the needed level for this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, they end up, and this is itself an interesting choice, but they end up kicking it into the faith realm where, uh, where Azure says, well, okay, it's your faith that tells you the universe exists in balance for a reason, a balance between space and time. Um, and that's your faith. And ours is different. Ours is true. <laughs> and, and and actually, it's like, OK, points for that. You know, she's at least she's not a, a complete relativist. Mm-hmm. In, uh, she does have a different faith. And because it's her faith, she believes it's true. And so fine. That's a that's a, that's that's has more intellectual integrity than. Yeah, well, this is my faith, but I don't really know if it's true. I don't really believe it. Well, right. How is it your mm-hmm. faith? Um, it's more like your guess. Um, you haven't committed to it. Uh, so I would have liked more as, you know, a philosopher, theologian, apologist. I would have liked more on all this, but adventure story stuff has to start blowing up again real quick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I mean, it, I'm kind of surprised they even went there at all. Yeah. To be honest, mm-hmm. I'm surprised that they even had that conversation at all. And it just, cause it's like, well, we're, we're in action mode here. This is all, you know. We got to resolve the story. Why even waste the time? Well, I think slow it down. I think it's a story writing thing. They have to mm-hmm. take a, a a breath in the story like this. You can't just go breakneck the entire time. And this was the well, breath they took. They can, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they, they can. sometimes do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another thing. I a uh, fun also, thing. Okay. Also, it revealed in this conversation. It gave us a a clearer statement of what swarm and azure's goals are yeah which Mm -hmm. is the destruction of all spatial objects because they identify with time they want time to exist but they want all spatial objects to be destroyed yeah which includes themselves as we see at the end well i so yeah this whole (laughs) space versus time it's like okay guys read some einstein (laughs) you know they're, they're not as separate as you th- as you're thinking. That's right. Um, there was a, a fun moment. I feel like it was a Star Wars reference. So when the Doctor and Carvanista were in the cell on board the Sontaran ship, and the Grand Serpent comes in, the Doctor says, "You're a bit tall for a Sontaran, aren't you?" Oh. Come on, that's going to be definitely a Star you're Wars. You're a little reference. short for a stormtrooper, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just I had to laugh at that one because I I felt sure that's what that was. Uh, there, I, there was a lot of little funny bits. Like I like in the um in the Santaran and the Santarans in this have been really well played. With they are scary for mm-hmm. once in in a way they usually are not. Even back in Classic Who, mm-hmm. yeah. But simultaneously, they're comic and they. Our Chibnall has really done well in using the Centaurans as actual threatening villains while simultaneously using them comedically. Um, an example of that is in the initial broadcast that they make to make a peace offer to the Daleks and the Cybermen. They, you know, the Centauran commander is starting to talk and he says, people of the universe, we bring you hope. Except the Rutans. You Rutan scum have to be exterminated. Alluding to all of the uh, alluding to their long time war with the Rutans that goes all the way back to their introduction in Classic Who. Yeah, mm. I, that, that was great. We we offer peace to we offer hope to everyone except for you guys. We still hate you. That was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I like that. Die Diane, uh, Dan, uh, Dan's love interest from the very beginning. She 
she's very capable. When mm-hmm. Vinder shows up inside the passenger form, she's like, she's been working. She she, she understands, yep. like, I found this thing that causes that to happen. And this is uh, my, and, and once she's got Vinder there, who knows a bit more about the technology, they can put it into action. Um, and and who, because Vinder has a gun. Right. That's, that's, what she, that's what she's been missing. Her first line upon meeting Vinder is finally someone with a gun. <laughs> And yeah. and she's the one who comes up with the, the the solution to the flux. Put it inside the passenger form, and and the doctor like, good good go and die. You the, you figured it out. So I really I liked. She didn't get a lot to do in this season, but what she got to do was really nice. I was a little strange the the ending though, which they had when yeah. everything they were back in Liverpool and Dan's like finally wants to get that drink with her and. She's like, no, no, I can't. And I get maybe she's traumatized, I guess. Yeah. So they kind of play it as if she's blaming him for being late on the night they had a date, which he is. He um, says it wasn't my fault because he was it wasn't he was kidnapped by Carvinista. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it's and but twice they bring it up like you were. It seems like she's blaming him for that when she has no rational ground to. I think that really what they're communicating here is she's traumatized by recent events and isn't ready to reengage right. socially yet. And mm-hmm. that's why she's but she will be open to it in the future, which is why she says to Dan, well, not tomorrow night. Right. Exactly. Right. Yes. OK. Yeah. She does say that. She ends with that. I, I also like with Diane. So it being. 2021 um we've got to have representation all over the place sure Mm. and you got to tick all these boxes on some checklist if you're chris chibnall to properly represent all these demographic groups because people will be crushed if they don't see people with their exact characteristics on screen i mean i know i've been incredibly traumatized by not seeing Southern, red-bearded, Catholic, (laughs) mystery investigator apologists on screen for all these years who have dyslexia and, um, you know, need to watch their weight. And so, you know, I totally get that. Um, But Diane is in this category of, I mean, she's a representation character because she's only got one arm. Um, and, and, and so what, so the typical narrative that you have with representation characters is you introduce them, you only let them be good. Yeah. They never get flaws like regular characters can. Mm -hmm. And you call massive amounts of attention to the fact that they are a representational character. And they don't mm. do that last part with Diane. Yeah, they do. They introduce her and they have her be only good. I mean, she's so she where did you train with the laser blaster? Well, it was a video game. And yeah. oh, you've just solved the yes. entire crisis and stuff like that. So but they never make a big deal out of the fact she's only got an arm. Right. Mm-hmm. There's they never mention it all. Yeah. Well, there's one kind of glancing reference to it where she's dug a, a hole in the ground in uh-huh. one of the virtual environments. And by the way, the virtual environments inside the passenger form are awesome. They are visually yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's dug a hole in the ground and Vendor says, and it's not that big of a hole, but Vendor says, how long did that take? And she says, way too long. 
<laughs> right. And that's an yeah. illusion to the fact she had to do it one handed. But, true. you know, that's very minor. And so if you're going to have representational characters, do it like this. You know, yeah. I mean, better yet, let them have flaws so you can tell yeah. actual stories with them and not the kind of flaws of of which it, like they gave Yaz of some kind of mental illness that needs constant reassurance. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. or what or what? The, I mean, if, you can tell mental illness stories. There are loads of good mental illness stories to tell, but suffering from mental illness is not a character flaw. It's a character challenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, but let let them make mistakes and let them not be all that and a bag of chips. Let them be normal and don't yeah. talk, constantly talk about it, which. And so yeah. the, I thought Claire was uh, much better than what we would have gotten in a different series season of of Chris Chibnall's Doctor Who. And certainly the that whole th- uh, storyline with Yaz, they didn't bring that up. At all, and I think Yaz was much mm. better this season. Yes, I mean, yeah. I, I don't. I, I want to talk about the season as a whole later, but mm-hmm. we can talk about the characters. And I think Yaz was a much. They didn't have to completely take away her desire to be dark, you know, Doctor Junior, mm-hmm. because she kind of offers it. But it was much better done. <laughs> yeah. Than last oh time. yeah, absolutely. The only the only thing we did get in this episode a line where when the Doctor says, "How long has it been for you and Dan?" Yaz says, "It's been a few years." And mm-hmm. and the doctor is hurt by that, you know, because she's failed them. She didn't get them quickly yeah. enough. Um, and Dan takes the edge off it by saying, oh, we had an adventure. We went all over the world. She was amazing. She is so good. She was so amazing. And it's yeah. like, OK. <laughs> Dan, you know, help her, you know her, her hurt feelings. <laughs> well, but thinking as it from the, it's like okay, I heard this la- at the finale of last season too, yeah, and and I could have stand to not hear it now. You could have just said, "Oh, we went all over the world. We had this amazing adventure. It was great." Yeah, that is true. Yeah. That is true. Now, one thing should mention is the reason why Dan and Yaz were able to get to twenty first, you know, twenty first century Liverpool was through the tunnels mm-hmm. that there just happened to be a door that was the exact date and time they needed. Well, there had to be the one door that was marked December 5th, 2021. Well, that was the date that they were looking for, because that's the date of the final flux, right? Yes. Right. But the the idea is that the tunnels had the exact date they needed. Well, yeah, that that Williamson had already found the exact door they needed. So that's true. The uh, yes. Convenient plot device. Uh, So let's talk about the Grand Serpent Prentice. Uh, that when the, he's tr- torturing the doctor, she describes his species as a, I didn't catch the whole thing, a binary species. Binary, with, binary demi species with interbody bioprojection. It was very interesting. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So what that means is he's, he's, uh, his species is basically trill with a projectable s- strangly symbiont. Right. Actually, that's actually so basically take the Gwauld and make it so that they can teleport themselves. Oh, yeah. So yeah, like a like a mashup of the Trill and the Gwauld. Gwauld. Yeah. <laughs> that now, is one, kind of weird. One thing I saw uh, some fans saying is like, "Wait, Grand Serpent, we didn't get any explanation on him." Well, actually, we did. In the interrogation scene with uh, with the Doctor, the Doctor deduces everything we basically need to know mm-hmm. about the Grand Serpent. He doesn't confirm it. 
but it's clear from the scene that she is what she's guessing is correct. He's he's mm-hmm. a member of some species that really has these two aspects, the human aspect and the serpent aspect, and he can project the uh, serpent into people and strangle them. Um, yeah. And so like binary is obvious. There's two of them. There's the serpent and there's the man. Demi means half or partial. So it's like a a demi species would be individually. These binary things would be a half or partial species, but you put them together, you get a whole. It can bio project between interbody bio projection. Well, it can project the serpent, which is a biological entity into other bodies. And right. she further deduces that uh, his history, that he's a former dictator who is in exile. She also deduces his plan, which is to use the Centaurans to do the dirty work and then betray them or kill them, which to me is more like a subspecies of betrayal, um, and then rule over a semi-grateful humanity. So that's really all we need. I mean, you could attach names to it, like what's the name of his binary demi-species, but in terms of substance, she just told us what he is, where he's from, why he's here, and what he's planning to do. And you get the sense that he did that to Vinder and Bell's people. Yes, something like that. Yeah. I have to admit, I'm not as hot on him as others might be. I, I, I he almost felt to me like he was kind of a tag on to the whole story. You know, that, that the story would have been just fine without him at all. Right. But yeah, it's just, it, it, it was, he, and I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. there, he has been exiled as you mentioned at the beginning. And so maybe they're setting him up for some, one of the specials that he's going to come back in one of the specials or I'll something. I'll be back. It, it's, I don't know, but it just, yeah. I, I I could have done without him at all as a whole. I mean, the whole, the whole unit subplot, although it was nice to see Kate Stewart, literally going underground mm-hmm. um, and all that. But this whole story would have been fine without him, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I agree. He could have been excised from the story. I mean, he does play some functions like he helps us understand Vendor's backstory. Um, if 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 Chris Chibnall were not leaving immediately, I mean, he could come back in a special, but I, I think it's somewhat doubtful given what we know about the specials. Um, I would th- I would think, oh, I'm just introducing a character for the future for mm-hmm. me to use in future seasons. And he may have had that intention for, well, I'm going to you know, introduce this villain. I have this interesting idea for a villain. I want to use right. it while I'm here. Someone else can pick it up after I'm gone. Yeah. But I, this, I, I agree. Can... They could have let the character breathe more. If we right. had another part to flux and they took the moments, that running time, that extra hour and, and filtered it back into the previous episode in small chunks that let things breathe mm-hmm. and let us have more explanation and so forth. I think the overall seven part flux series might've been a bit more satisfying, even though it would have been slightly slower. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, that was kind of my, my thought too, is, is maybe um, if they had the extra two episodes they were supposed to have for this season, there might've been more there. And he was just, he's just kind of a tailed uh, that never got, fully developed right right that's true um what else uh i want to mention that time at the end when time personify confronts the doctor tells her that her end is coming no regeneration no life 
like so this uh, not like your this regenerate regeneration is, is coming to an end but your existence is coming to an end uh beware of the forces that mass against you and their master now obviously mm-hmm. the doctor's going to regenerate because we have a <laughs> we've been told that russell t davies is bringing in the 14th doctor but uh this is a big deal this kind of brings us reminds us of the 10th doctor that whole stuff where uh you know his end was predicted and and all that mm-hmm. um but uh this is the mention of the master that we were talking about from before uh so yeah. what do you think well also i so i think the master is going to be back um what time said was beware the forces that rally against you and their master mm-hmm and yep. the doctor picked up on the significance of the word master. So there will be forces rallying against the doctor. That may not be the cyber time lords. Right. Because, mm-hmm. which I, I, I don't, I'm not really wild about the cyber time lords. I understand the idea, but I don't, I, I'm just not a huge fan of them. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it would immediately give it away that it's the master if they're rallying against the doctor. Mm-hmm. Um so and they and they've already intro, reintroduced the regular Cybermen, you know, yep. in this very special or series. So I don't know. Uh, the I guess we'll have to see what those forces are. I have some predictions for the specials, which we can get to at the end. But but I didn't take and I I was alert to the possibility that you seem to be alluding to Don that Dom that when time says no regeneration, no life lasts forever. That. Sh- time was threatening the doctor's life mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i don't think that's the case i think life in a life in this case is a synonym for a regeneration right and so i think she was just saying this regeneration is ending but yeah. she was n- n- unfriendly to the doctor which is interesting given that this is a time travel show and yeah. um she but she says you won't outrun me Right. Mm. Which is something that a um, that, you know, as a personification of time, well, nobody outruns time. Yeah. Yeah. Except the doctor. So, Mm -hmm. you know, or anybody else with a TARDIS. And I I took the whole statement about no life, you know, last forever. You know, all life ends that a statement that, yes, doctor, even one day you will die and not regenerate sometime eventually, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, but right. but yeah, that the, 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 be the no regeneration last it was was very much a statement as much, you know, breaking the fourth wall as saying, yes, the 13th Doctor's regeneration will end here shortly did the, as much as. Yeah. So I, I'm sorry, I was going to say that did the Timeless Child information establish that the Doctor is not a Gallifreyan by birth, is a, is a different species mm-hmm. and therefore and is the one who brings regeneration to the Gallifreyans, to the Time Lords, and therefore maybe she has no limit to regeneration like the Time Lords do. They've already established that she has no natural limit. Yeah. Okay. Right. I just wanted to double check that that was established. Whether, whether she isn't, she was apparently not born on, apparently not born yeah. on Gallifrey. She may be a different species um, or not because. Mm. There, you know, um, <laughs> Doctor Who science, right? Um, yeah, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, she she does not have a regeneration limit. Okay, just at least not one that they've shown right yet. Right, right. I mean, they can do whatever and, they want, and, and and they need to not introduce one. 
Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because it was a mistake to introduce the regeneration limit to begin with. Because if the show survives, I mean, you're never going to have the doctor just die. Yeah. Um, if the show goes on, you, uh, you, you'll always write some way out of that. And so you mm-hmm. may as well not have it. It has no drama left, after, especially after the 11th after Doctor's. The, after the first time, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the only other things I wanted to mention, and then I'll uh, let you guys bring up anything I missed. Uh, the Doctor invites Dan to travel with them, and mm-hmm. he accepts, uh, mm-hmm. which is nice. Uh, the Dan has proven himself to be a, a capable companion, to be quick on his feet, uh, and, and mentally to be quick on things, um, and to have that expansiveness of mind to to kind of grasp in the moment when things are going all all nine ways sideways, uh, that he he kind of grasps things, and, and so that's good. I like Dan as a character. Um, and then the Doctor apologizes to Yaz for not letting her in, for shutting her out from the the, the problems that the Doctor had been about the timeless child stuff that she'd been dealing with at the end of last season, at the beginning of this season, and so we have a bit of a resolution of that. And I, I like that. When she apologized and said, I shouldn't have done that, Yaz stands up for herself and says, yeah, you shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Very. Yes, that was good. So um, uh, the only other. Oh, speaking of Dan, there was one thing where he uh, he fetched Carvinista and, you know, (laughs) which was which was. I love that. Fetch your dog. I did that. That guru from the mountaintop was really smart. Uh, (laughs) Oh, this was actually a big thing that I I missed uh, that I just saw. Bell. She's got that little Tamagotchi thing that she's got uh, with the yep. little face on it. It's a it's baby a, monitor. Yeah, it's a communicator mm-hmm. with her unborn child. I really liked that they brought in the fact that an unborn child is a person who can communicate. And, mm-hmm. and that's something I would. Well, I don't I don't know that it's communicating with the unborn child. I, I think it's a complex prenatal baby monitor. Um mm. Because the doctor says, oh, baby yeah. tech. And are you having yeah. a and Bell says, let's not announce it. Yeah. And um, and it it does complex data functions that you wouldn't expect an unborn baby to do. But right. I, I, I did like that. Um, and I, I was going to mention this. I did like this is another example of how things have changed in society because uh, when Belle tells Vendor about the baby, she says, we're having a baby if the universe survives. <laughs> yeah. And, and that what's on the other side of that, if could have been different in mm-hmm. some ages of television, like, if you want, or if we want to keep it or something like that, because in the past when there was a push, especially in the United States here after Roe v. Wade in 1973 to, so to normalize abortion in the media. And so you had Mm -hmm. TV shows like uh, not just all in the family, but in particular Maud, yeah, which was a spinoff oh, of sure. All in the Family that featured comedian B. Arthur as an extremely bad-tempered, sarcastic woman. Um, she actually has an abortion on the show. I mean, they don't show mm-hmm. it obviously, but they have an episode that's about she's 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 she gets pregnant and she has an abortion, and this is you know, and and for a long time in the eighties and nineties. Um, here in U.S. television, there was a lot of dancing around it. If somebody gets pregnant, well, are we going to keep it or not? 
And these days, it's just assumed babies are a good thing. Mm-hmm. And um, and 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 that's great. And that's what we have here. Yes, it was very nice. I like I like that acknowledgement um, of that baby there. All right. So that's uh, that is everything I had all my notes. Uh, so, Father Corey, do you have any other notes that you want to mention? Uh, not nothing really. Just uh, kind of mentioned again, you know, uh, Kate Stewart told Osgood that she was going underground and she literally did. <laughs> yeah, she right. went into the Liverpool tunnels. Um <laughs> And that was that was kind of that was kind of fun scenes with her, especially when the doctor sees her, like you mentioned, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It's Dan, Tardis, Kate. It's other guy. You know. <laughs> Victorian guy. <laughs> Victorian guy. Yeah. Right, Jimmy. So um, during this, we get to see images of like Liverpool under Centauran occupation and we get to see businesses. And I can't help but noting okay could that be a real world business and stuff like that and we like in in this one scene they're in a mall and the signs say more more dining on the terrace and stuff like that but there's also a very clear i don't know if it was product placement but there was very clearly a corporate logo for something called pull and bear Mm -hmm. and this will be very familiar to people in lots of parts of the world other than north america we don't have pull and bear here. It turns out I looked it up. Pull and bear is like a clothing, trendy clothing place. Okay. Um, uh, and it's all it's in South America and it's in Europe and it's in Asia and it's in other places, but it's not in North America. So that would have been lost on us in terms of uh, little things, other little things in the episode. How is sunlight getting to the surface of the earth through the Lupari shield that is clearly shown as being solid and opaque, but has a brilliantly lit <laughs> earth underneath it? Um, doesn't make any sense. Also, Kate's iPhone can detect Artron energy. Mm-hmm. I guess they've got an app for that now. Um, <laughs> I didn't like the doctor's self-crush. I mean, we've had similar things with when doctors have met, but when this doctor meets herself, she's she's like got a crush on herself. I am or at least talks like that. She's self-flirting and I don't wasn't wild about that um the idea of oh i the when the doctors make telepathic contact and they say the word contact to initiate the connection that actually goes back to classic who i believe mm-hmm. the first time that happened was in the 10th anniversary special the three doctors i think you're right yeah also the three doctors introduced the antimatter universe where omega is and and they talk about the antimatter in this episode coming from uh, outside our universe. So right. that also chimes into stuff. Um, in terms of the um, in terms of antimatter, so okay, if you've got enough matter antimatter to destroy everything in our universe. Throwing a couple of three armies at it will not stop that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, also, now they, they kind of hint that it may not just, the flux may not just be antimatter, but they say that's its principal component. But throwing matter at antimatter will stop it in mutual annihilation and this massive mm-hmm. release of photons. So where's that happening? Right. You know, that's that. So the science here is pretty wonky. Um, but, you know, science fairy tale, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
the I also I was not kidding about most genocide doctor ever um, because she Kate Stewart specifically asks the doctor when when she once they've deduced what the Suntaran plan is, should we warn the Daleks and the Suntarans to stop them? And and that would have saved lots of Dalek and cyber lives. And the doctor says, mm-hmm. my plan is more risky than that. And it turns out she has no plans to save the doctor to save the Daleks or the Cybermen. She right. is letting them be annihilated and she annihilates the Suntarans too. Yeah. Um, so we have some serious, you know, anger management issues here with the doctor. <laughs> um, Kate uh, f- uh, says she hopes to meet this regeneration again. So, that brings us to predictions for the yes. specials. Yes. Um, Kate's going to be back in the yes. specials. I would assume. Also, uh, we have to deal with the fact the TARDIS is broken. Mm-hmm. That has to be dealt with. And in some of the mm-hmm. promotional art for the um, for the first of the specials, the Eve of the Daleks, it looks it's got on some of the promotional art what looks like a broken TARDIS. So they may be dealing with that there. Something that needs to be explored in the future, but Russell T. Davies could entirely drop if it's especially if it's not dealt with is the war by Chibnall is because is the war between space and time. Mm. Because that really makes no sense. Um, That's not something humans can comprehend. So I could easily see um, Chibnall not dealing with that anymore and Russell T. Davies choosing to just ignore it. But uh, we will have in the specials, the first, the January special, we're going to have Daleks. At the mm-hmm. Easter special, we'll have Chinese pirates uh, based on a historical representational lady Chinese pirate. Um, mm. And presumably some other villains because pirates are, you know, small potatoes and maybe not villains at all in Doctor Who, even right. though they're, they're criminals. Um, and then, of course, we're going to have the master back for the regeneration uh mentioned we will have kate stewart who really didn't do anything in this other than show up and talk about stuff um and we'll have uh we've got to have resolution on bell and vendor's baby mm-hmm. so ex- i expect Vel- bell vendor and carvinista to show up again and yeah. we may get another manifestation of time in the regeneration episode mm. uh so uh so those are my thoughts and the master, right? You mentioned the master. I mentioned the master. Up. Yep. Yep. I think, yeah, we definitely have to have the master w- one more time before the end of this regeneration of the doctor. I'm going to guess it'll be the regeneration episode. I mean, you just, it's the ultimate. Yeah. I hope we get Dr. Ruth yeah. again. It is verified that, that the master will be back for the, for the regeneration episode. Okay. Okay. Um, there have been like photos from the set with people holding boxes of props that say master props and things like that. <laughs> that um, sounds it. By the way, if they do ever use the fob watch, um, the doctor and the doctor gets all her memories back. That actually, even though I'm not a fan of that, it could work in the series mm-hmm. because originally, like when we had William Hartnell and um, all the way up through Tom Baker, we didn't know how many regenerations the doctor had. Yep, previously. Right. And the doctor knew about him, presumably, turns out not. Yeah. But uh, presumably, from an audience perspective, the doctor knew about all these regenerations that 
And it's okay for the doctor to know the answers to mysteries that the audience doesn't know the answers to. So if they give the doctor back the mysteries, they should only give the memories. They should only give the audience little tastes of what's in there. Um, Mm -hmm. And and we should never have a thorough exploration of all of it. It should emerge a piece at a time and allow the doctor to be mysterious in a way the doctor's past was mysterious between regenerations one and four. And I wonder if the the fob watch will come back as part of the regeneration. It may. Where yeah. Maybe maybe not leading to it, but it'll lead to the event that leads to the regeneration, basically. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the doctor will be some reason will be in such crisis or trouble that gets the watch back from the TARDIS, gets the memories back, solves the problem in the after regeneration. You know, something like that. Yeah. You know, I, I'm obviously, the, you know, they've got their plans, but uh, something along that lines. Um, I'd love to hear what listeners think. What, what do you all think the 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 specials will entail? What we'll see, if, you know, if you agree with our predictions or if you have some interesting ideas of your own uh, or things you'd like to see. I'd, I'd love to hear that. One thing I'd like to kind of mention, too, you know, the Vinder and Bell's child. I, I hope we see that resolved and I'm hoping it's not going to be the doctor. I'm hoping it's not going to be this. We're going to throw him through a wormhole and becomes the doctor. Yeah. I'm kind of hoping that doesn't happen, that it just becomes a, a well, a child. Right. Just, you know, just, just it's been resolved. Great. Yes. Yay. Healthy <laughs> child. We're done. And leave the doctor's <laughs> origins mysterious. Given how important, I mean, the child has to be important to justify its inclusion in the story and the amount of prominence it's been given. Um, I'm okay with it being the doctor. I'm also okay with it not being the doctor as long as they explain why it's significant because mm-hmm. you, 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 you don't have this from a writing perspective, you don't introduce this pregnant character and have this mystery hunt for getting the parents back together and, Oh, we're having a baby and Oh, it's there. There's too much buildup here for it to just be an ordinary baby. What if the baby is not the doctor, but the master? Well, um, that would be interesting. It would be hard to explain given the um, given that the that parents not... appear to be not non-Gallifreyans. Yeah. Right. But maybe that what if the master has an origin as mysterious as the doctors? And that's uh, I mean, be, it, I, but, I don't know. There's, there's yeah. part of me just like, does it really need to be? Yeah. And, I, you know, don't discount the the ability of them to take perfectly reasonable writing cues and throw them away. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, maybe the, bo- the babies was there to increase the drama of bell looking for Vinder, yeah. the, the mother that's, looking for the father of her child. That's one thing I was thinking yeah. too. Didn't so. stop bell from being an action hero in the middle of a pregnancy. <laughs> no, <laughs> got to give it a credit to bell. Yeah, really? Um, all right. I think, I think that should do it. Uh, unless there's anything left, I think we've thoroughly discussed this. Uh, well, overall impressions of the season. Just oh, I I thought this was probably one of the best seasons of New Who. You know, very simply. I mean, this was very well done. I loved the serial format. And again, as I said at the beginning, it felt like classic Who with the serials. I you know yeah, there was a lot of confusion to it, and 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 it, we've said it time time again. This should have been an eight part series. It wasn't. It was only six part. And so there's some confusion added there. But by and large, I thought this was a fantastic season. I really enjoyed it. This is one I'll probably watch again. I probably want to do a mm. binge watch mm-hmm. at some point to watch all the episodes in one. And, you know, that'd be fun. It, 
very much worth doing. So, yeah, this was fantastic. Jimmy, your impression? Uh, I, I don't I don't know if I would say it's the best season of New Who, but it's certainly one of the best and one of yeah. the best in a long time. I don't mm-hmm. think any of certainly none of the previous Jodie Whittaker seasons have been this good. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of the Peter Capaldi seasons were this good. It would have to be back in and certainly the first season was not this good with um Christopher Eccleston. If there was a season this good, it would have to be in one of the earlier, better seasons of Matt Smith or one of the later, better seasons of David Tennant, mm. like maybe the Donna season. Yeah. Um, but uh, but even that one is marred by the horrible ending um, yeah. <laughs> where the Dr. Donna character is 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 not a success in my mind there's all kinds of stuff wrong in that story and not just with the dr donna um so this i i I have to think about it i need to watch it again uh and i'm willing to watch it again in a way that i'm not interested in watching other jodie whittaker doctor who i i haven't except for the except for you know the requirements of doing this podcast i have i don't know that i've viewed Jodie Whittaker episodes more than once. I mean, I may have mm-hmm. to clarify points or something, um, but because BBC sound is so terrible. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, this is this is real. If they if Chris Chibnall, Chibnall had done this kind of stuff from the beginning, his tenure as a showrunner on Doctor Who would be much less controversial, much more fondly remembered in its wake. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, for me, Jodie Whittaker, the Thirteenth Doctor, is still not my I, uh, not my favorite Doctor. Yeah, um, ranks below all of the other new Who Doctors, frankly, uh, <laughs> and and a lot of the old <laughs> classic Who Doctors. But this season was was great. It was great. Um, I'm trying to think of what I mean. I there was some Capaldi seasons stuff I liked, I, but as a whole, as I think maybe as a story, I think I have to approach this as a story as opposed to like other stories from previous seasons as opposed to the whole season. It's it really ranks up there, but there are other stories that I liked better. But um, yeah, this was this was the season we all wanted from <laughs> from Chris mm-hmm. Jibnall. Like you said, from the beginning, this is what we, we should have had. I'm sorry that Graham didn't get to have this season uh, because he's still, I think, ranks as my favorite doctor 13th doctor companion um but uh it was it was a surprisingly good season and i'm looking forward to a good run out of the of the of the specials to the regeneration and hopefully we hopefully we get that hopefully that the uh it continues that way um interesting coincidence by the way the director of this episode his name was at, or her i'm not sure if it's a man or woman azure salim uh, coincidence? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Spelled differently, A Z H U R as opposed to A Z U R E, but you know, I don't know. Just thought I'd mention the, that. By the way, it is a he. So okay. it, it, I, yes. I, I wasn't sure about uh, about the, the 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 cultural name. Um, all right, I think that should about do it for us. Uh, we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Dark Who, including Judson G, Michael G, Colin M, Donald Y, and Shelley W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that is it from us. What did you think of 
the vanquishers this is chapter six of the whole season of the 13th doctor or anything we talked about let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the secrets of doctor who facebook page or send an email to doctor who at sqpn.com we'll be back next time next week when we'll be discussing the fourth doctor story the seeds of doom and then later on uh, after new year's we'll be discussing the the eve of the daleks 13th doctor special until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, I am Professor Eustachio Jericho, Scourge of Scoundrels. Hi, everyone. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of StarQuest, with a special message as we approach the Christmas season. This past year, the StarQuest Network has continued to expand our mission of exploring the intersection of faith and pop culture through our many entertaining and informative programs. Now we need your generous financial support to reach new audiences with more of the life-changing and uplifting programming we've been creating for more than a decade. That's why it's very important that we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you are already a supporter of StarQuest, we thank you and ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you're not yet a supporter, please become one now. Every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? Whatever level of support you can offer, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas. And remember that your gifts may be tax deductible. Just go to sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. May God bless you this Advent, and may you have a blessed Christmas season.